It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 659 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have two great conversations lined up for you today. Joining me first will be Phil Singleton, CEO of Kansas City Design and SEO, and co-author with John Janch, he of Duct Tape Marketing fame, uh, co-author of SEO for Growth, the ultimate guide for marketers, web designers, and entrepreneurs. Following my talk with Phil is another in the series of weekly conversations with my partner in crime, Bridget Gleason. She's herself Vice President of Sales at Logs.io. And this week, we're sharing, Bridget and I are sharing some of the weird things that have happened to us in our long, illustrious sales careers. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo, discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Okay, joining me on the first segment, as I said, is Phil Singleton, CEO of Kansas City Design and SEO, and co-author with John Janch of SEO for Growth, the ultimate guide for marketers, web designers, and entrepreneurs. So today's segment is really one for entrepreneurs. We're having a conversation about how to cultivate and utilize your website as your marketing hub in order to maximize the revenue you can generate from really one of your core content assets. So lots of great advice and practical tips here today. All right, let's jump into it. Phil Singleton, welcome to the show. Andy, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show. And uh, especially just right as a holiday weekend is coming up. Everybody else has escaped and, <laughs> and abandoned ship a couple hours ago. Right. Um, right. So take a minute, introduce yourself to our guest. Tell us a little bit what you do. I mean, you're author, obviously, it's several books, uh, SEO for Growth, The Ultimate Guide for Marketers, Web Designers, and Entrepreneurs, as well as one you and I were talking about before we came on the air here is, is The Small Business Owner's Guide to Local Lead Generation, which I've been reading is a great book. I appreciate that. That was our, my first book project that kind of opened the doors up into that, that kind of content marketing. It really, really kind of changed my life to some degree, definitely mm-hmm. my career. So. so tell us a little bit about yourself. What else do you do? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'm technically a web designer by trade, although I got into this and the reason I'm in digital is mostly because I'm so driven by search engine optimization, really. I think Google's a, um, a monopoly. I mean, it's people think of it as a cool dominant tech company, but I think it's more than that. I think it's really a fundamental part of the modern purchase process. And I think they've got an unfair advantage there. And, you know, at some point there'll probably be some government regulation is my guess, but well, with the not, conversations, not right now. Well, conversations the last several weeks have been happening about Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica and yes. so on. Yes. That uh, Google no doubt be swept up into some of that. Well, I tell people all the time that this is weeks and we've been talking about it is people are concerned what Facebook has on them. Um, <laughs> think about what Google's <laughs> under the hood there. I mean, they know just about everything that, you know, they, they, they you could imagine. I think. Oh, about yeah. People. Well, if you're using Gmail, they most certainly do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got into this. It's pretty funny. I'm an introvert by nature. I went to school, got a degree in finance. My first job out of school was uh, at an insurance company. Three years into it, I was absolutely miserable, you know, kind of this cubicle soul-crushing cubicle job that I had. Um, I ended up trying to do something drastic, and I ended up um, packing my bags and moving to Asia one day. Parents thought I, I lost my mind, but I did a 10-year stint overseas in Taiwan. Um, 10 years? Long, 
yeah, my wife's Taiwanese. I met her there. Um, we moved back here in 2005 and that's really kind of when I, at 35 years old, I'd never had done anything tech, um, you know, in terms of coding or graphic design, 35 years old, I kind of made a promise I couldn't keep to some guy and said I was going to build him a website. And it was a, the ugliest little, you know, Microsoft front page, purple and gold right. <laughs> website, one pager, but, um, you know, ended up getting him ranked. And he called me up one day and said, Phil, you've changed my business. You've changed my life. And finally at 35 years old, I, I knew what I wanted to be when you I had up. your calling, <laughs> you had your calling. Exactly. And it was just kind of no looking back. But before that, I will say, you know, while I was in Taiwan, I had this through a series of kind of jobs that I had, I had this like software company fall into my lap. Um, the investment money was just there and I had a production team and I had a, um, a bunch of retail channel online and offline just happened to be at the right type the right place at the right time. And that's really what opened my eyes up into Google. Cause we were writing affiliate checks back more than 15 years ago for like 50, 70, $80,000 a month. And I was like, how is this happening? And then I saw well, Google. What, what, what was the product? It was called DVDX copy. Oh Yeah. It was yeah. a real, I mean, it I sold h- hundreds of millions of dollars in the online. I wasn't one of the owners, but Hollywood ended up shutting them down in the early 2000s. And yeah. it was illegal after that in the States, but it was still legal for the rest of the world. And I happened to be in Taiwan. I was helping these company, this company grow their business um, outside of the U.S. And it was legal in Asia for a long time. But then the Hollywood studios came yep. and, and lobbied to the rest of the countries and then all all DVD copying software basically came illegal. But that really, at that time, so it's happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, that's really how I learned about web design and SEO. And Google had a stranglehold, I think, over the purchase process, even back then for stuff, people that were looking for that kind of software. Um, sure. And and that's really what opened. I was like, we packed that up, sold that company, moved back to the States to start a family, started my did my first website, and that's rolled into an agency. And um, that's how I got here today. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that... Um certainly brought greater notoriety. So you've teamed up with John Jansch to wrote this book on the SEO for growth. And John is you know, sort of the acknowledged, certainly one of the most uh, acknowledged experts in small business marketing, for sure, in that space. Uh, so how'd you get hooked up with John to do that? Well, really interesting there is that, again, introverted guy fell in love with SEO and web design. For a long time with Google, you could move the needle for people and get leads and sales for them without ever having to talk to them or even have a website or do any kind of blogging or personal Mm -hmm. branding. Then Google came out and changed their algorithm and made it more punitive. And you started to hear about animals like penguin and panda and things that actually went after and penalized websites for um, kind of the spammy practices that people used to do for SEO to get results. Once that happened, learning keywords into copy and so on, right? Exactly. Getting all volume-based backlink building, right. all that kind of stuff that now gets you into big trouble if you do that um, you know, in a, in a scale that way. Um, so what happened is Google made these uh, algorithms and I saw that, hey, you know, you can't get business or help people out the old way people were doing SEO. The new way is that, you know, they talk, Google talked about content being king for a long time, but we all snickered and said, that's not really what, what gets people results. Um, but then they changed it. And mm-hmm. they started making things like content being important and all sorts of other outside factors, social media participation, um, trying to look for people, you know, find ways out on the internet that established you or your company in terms of having expertise, right. authority, authority, and trust, right. all that kind of stuff. They really went out there and changed their algorithm to go out and reach for those things. Well, that meant us SEO guys that wanted to survive, we had to become marketers, right? We had to become content marketers. We had to get right. out there and, and understand social media. So I went from this place where I could do stuff in my bat cave and never talk to people to having to go out there and do things that we're going to start with. So that's how I met with John. I figured, Hey, I'm going to have to um, shortcut my way into some, you know, holistic marketing, end up reading duct tape marketing and figuring out, okay, 
this, I get this. He thinks like I do systematically. In fact, for a long time, the way we built websites was to reverse engineer them based on search engine behavior. Well, that's the big inbound marketing concept, duct tape marketing concept, reverse engineer your marketing around right. your ideal client. So I got into that and I figured, Hey, I'm going to join up his network and, and figure it. And, and I had, I, I became a duct tape marketing consultant and I joined for, I've been there for three, four years. But what's interesting about that, and I think what's kind of short, short path, uh, short fast track, my own path to maybe some personal branding is you join into somebody like John, who's a handshake away First of all, he's got his whole career and he was early on, you know, doing this kind of stuff with duct tape, but he's also a handshake away from just about every influencer in the space out there. Mm -hmm. So I was able to join that network and give, 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 um, and help educate and establish myself as a kind of an SEO authority within that group. And I earned John's trust and I gave back to him and I ended up pitching. I said, Hey, I've got my own idea for a book. Um, would you mind writing a forward for me? Mm -hmm. But I've got this other idea where you come in as a co-author and maybe we try and launch some other type of businesses off of it. And, you know, I put my time in, I think I established and got some trust in a relationship with him and he ended up jumping on board and that's how it happened. And I think that when I saw that, I was like, geez, that's, I think other people could probably do the same thing, right? Where you could, you don't just go in on day one and say, Hey John, will you write a book with me type of thing? Right. I had to put my time in, right. And prove myself. And, and really, I think it, the, the key to that is, is giving. I mean, you got to look for somebody that's going to look out for you and reciprocate. But I had to give a whole lot and work, I think, hard to earn that kind of kind of trust um, for him to put his name on it. And that's how I did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that is, is you know, sort of the primary lesson these days about content marketing is that it content marketing is about giving first and foremost. And yeah, we're going to talk mostly about small business side of things here. And and that is that's the part that seems to be the most difficult for small business you know, either entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, marketing teams, is to have that consistency in giving and the patience, quite frankly, in giving because you know, everybody gets a little nervous and think, well, I just I just put a blog post and no one's responding to it. <laughs> you know, And that's okay. Yeah, it takes a while to build that trust as you talked about. I totally agree. I mean, I think two big problems that we see every single day that comes in here through our office is one, I still think to a large degree, a lot of business owners, small businesses um, specifically still don't really see their website in terms of how important it is to their business today and their future. And that is, I think there's still a lot of people look at it as a digital brochure and not as a marketing platform or as a place to store their body of work in terms of their knowledge and things like that. Um, well, yeah, and, they look, I mean, excuse me, they, they look at it as being something static. I mean, I think there's sort of a set up and forget it uh, mentality with small businesses. And it's like, yeah, I did that. I, you know, that, was well, table, that was table stakes. And Thank and, you, Wix, Weebly, and GoDaddy, because I think they still go brainwash people into thinking, hey, you should only pay $50 and put it up on the website and that's all you'll need to do for um, you know, for your digital presence. And it's just not like that anymore. I mean, really, to me, that it has to be a marketing platform. It has to be your marketing hub. And then once you do that and set it up right, then you've got to fuel it with the things that we're talking about right now. Right? you got to put content on it, um, one. And secondly, the people that do end up doing stuff, I think a big problem even to this very day is they'll leave their website as a this static thing and if they're going to put anything online, their best content, they end up putting it on somebody else's platform like Facebook or somewhere where it passes through real time today and never gets archived somewhere where somebody, it could show up for a search or something up on the search results. And I think that's a huge problem. Well, yeah, um, I think well, that's a good, a good point. So, I mean, there's sort of two elements there. Is, is one is 
you know, the need to be creating content, which I think is the most daunting task for small businesses, is, yeah, the idea of even a weekly blog, a monthly blog. I mean, I always can sort of tell when you go to a website and you look at their, their blogs. That's sort, of the, that's sort of the acid test for me. I go there and say, okay, when is the last one they did? Or, you know, the last new piece of fresh content, whether it's not a blog or a podcast or a video or so on. And that, yeah, if somebody's looking at your business, that says a lot about you if, if the most fresh piece of content you have out there is four years old. Couldn't agree more. So how do people get into the discipline with, with content marketing? Small businesses in particular, understaffed, under-resourced. Um, you know, we were talking about this when I first started the show two and a half years ago. It was a prime topic. It's still today. Yes. Is, you know, the clients you work with and so on. So how, do you, how do you get them in the, the discipline and the habit of creating content? Uh, I think the starting point is to, fir- is to first have people really buy into the mindset that, you know, your website's like, a landscaping for your house. I mean, it, you put it out there and it looks pretty once you have to nurture it for an order to get back and, and get some payback on it. Um, but then how do you, you know, how do you, um, how do you make it work for you? Well, we talked about having the content and people saying, Hey, you know, if I'm going to put anything online, they'll put it up on Facebook. Well, if <laughs> you should treat your website as the plot, your, your content distribution platform. So if you got something cool to say, whether it's a picture or a post, the first thing I would say is put it on your website and share it out so that people have to come back to see the rest of it. And there's some kind of a digital trail back. And then you can talk about like Facebook pixeling and the ability to you know, remarket to them later. Mm-hmm. That's just a simple concept. But then you, you bring into a bigger point. It's like, if you're really going to get into um, content marketing, to me, a fundamental piece of inbound marketing and marketing today is still blogging, right? Cause it's, um, it's a way to establish authority on your website. It's a way to increase dwell time. It's more, really importantly, it's a way to kind of start attacking those long tail keywords so that your site grows organically, draws people back to the search engines where you're kind of logging mm-hmm. those different types of things. Mm-hmm. But how do you do it as a business owner? There's no business owner out there. First of all, most of us, including myself, I'm not a professional writer where it just rolls out. If I got to think about a blog post, you know, we hem and haw over it. And we're, since we're not writers, we end up spending a lot more time um, doing that where that's time, valuable time that we could be used to doing operational things in our company or doing mm-hmm. our own lead generation to bring it. So the way I get around it and the way our clients get around it is we have to find um, writing resources, third-party writing resources. We do that. We do the keyword research. We and the clients, you do, as the owner, do the keyword research and figure out which things, what keywords and what topics are important mm-hmm. for your business. Then you maybe sketch out and have an idea of what topics you should be writing with some points. And then you find a writer, a writing resource that will write those um, blog posts up for you. Cause even if they're not great or not as good as you could do on your own, it's still much easier to edit somebody else's work than it is to come up with five, 500 or a thousand words. So I think to me, this is key because you have to have a consistent flow coming in where you're, you're publishing to, to really get the, the main benefit of this whole kind of an inbound marketing platform. So mm-hmm. having an outs- a resource, like, and there are a bunch out there. In fact, I'll send you a list of some really good third-party writing resources where you right. can marry up with somebody who will understand you and will get that consistent flow going so that it's coming in and you can end up publishing it. I'm going to take it one step further, sure. which I think is, is really important is because you can get way more bang for the buck is I think not only is blogging important and having a writing partner important and making sure that you're factoring in like your SEO goals and things and keyword research and and topics and stuff, but doing so in a way where you're writing out series of blog posts and like a 10 and 15 of them is 
can be much more beneficial to you and your business than writing them out um, just kind of one at a time. Because what we like to try and do, and even for ourselves and for everybody is, you know, let's write a series that could be like a how-to series or something else that we could stitch together into an ebook as a call to action of the website. Mm -hmm. More importantly, use that. Maybe we could spin it up into a Kindle, put it up on Amazon, make yourself an author, get some backlinks from Amazon. And maybe if you really get into it and you buy into this, um, notion of how important authority and personal branding is, you can then use that ebook as a way maybe to launch something like a podcast guesting campaign where you can get out there and start to talk about things in your expert and kind of establish yourself as an authority kind of from grassroots and the ground up. That's something you can't, if you just do independent blog posts on topics, you can't get that whole process going because there's no way to then stitch together 10 random right. blog posts and turn it into a block and ebook. And play. you have to kind of think about it in the head time. But if you do these things strategically, and you have a writing partner for a lot for a little bit of time, you can get a massive amount of value um, that way. And I think that's is an important thing that we're trying to all do as small business owners is how can we spend a little bit of time, a little bit of money to get our expertise out, but leverage it in a way that really counts online and stuff like that that I think that really works. Well, that's great advice. I mean, you're talking about think about it in terms of series. I mean, actually, I was writing my first book and talking to an author. They said, "Yeah, don't." Don't write a book, write a bookshelf. And that's the sort of the same same concept. So and I sort of, <clears throat> excuse me. The sort of how I wrote my second book was basically based on on blogs. And it was very deliberate, right? It's, it's, they sort of didn't come out chapters at a time, but I knew it as I had the plan in the background and I was writing them in such a way nice. that Yeah, I mean sort of half the book maybe was largely written even before I started uh, writing a book. But I think for for yeah, the Mark, small business marketing, sales leaders, marketing leaders, entrepreneurs listening to the show is it's really a great, great recommendation is, you know, do a series, you can repurpose it into an ebook, which can be a lead magnet into, as you said, upscale it into a Kindle, perhaps. Yeah, Kindle books, yeah, they don't need to be very long. I mean, they can be as long as you want or as short as you want. Um, people, people really don't care. They're not buying books based on the number of pages in them. Right. And you see a little bit further because you've even seen how we do kind of the outreach is when people come out and are doing this, um, like for the guesting campaigns, you've got a book on there. And if you do a little bit of homework, maybe and try and get some, a couple endorsements, which are easier to get than people think, um, and set up kind of a nice one sheet, then you can go. And it's, you think it's somebody like me who's doing, I'm going out and kind of doing my own guesting campaign. Well, there's so many benefits to doing this piece of it, right? Where I'm spending 30 minutes with an influencer like yourself. Um, I'm talking about something I'm already comfortable with. Um, if you think about how people do other forms of content marketing, like like guest blog posting or contributing to another like third party um, website, that's a lot of work, man, to come up with a thousand, fifteen hundred yeah, well, words <laughs> and then shop is- it, and then it's it's like spammy, and it's not about you like a podcast is. You get like a little author yeah. bio maybe at max. So this is one of those things where you get a tremendous amount of benefit, and it's like again, you know, it kind of rolls back to this you know keyword topic authority. Well, where let's, got- let's dive into that for a second because I think that's the part that is probably where if writing is actually the hard part, the missing piece that people don't think about when they before they start to write is to find the keywords that are relevant. So, how how again, our yeah you know, prototypical avatar here of a small business you know entrepreneur or marketing person. How do they find the keywords that they need to be writing about? I think this is really key because I think people think when they hear keywords in SEO, they still think like this is like maybe an outdated concept or something that's just kind of distant and out there. But to me, I still think this is like the most important part of really digital marketing and marketing in general is that, you know, we, everybody agrees that you want to find out who your ideal client is. Well, 
if you can do keyword research and figure out what your demographic is and know what words they're searching for in relation to your products and services, well, so that's you, like a you, gold mine. Right. right? So how do you find those words out? So how do you find it? So you're going to go in. So if we all agree that that's really important, um, where do you go to find them? Well, there's, uh, there's great third-party tools like SEMrush and Ahrefs, but that's those are agency tools that are going to cost you 50 100 $200 a month. Nobody's really going to do that. Right. There is a great free tool that's becoming more and more restrictive over time from Google within AdWords, which is their you know, mm -hmm. pay-per-click platform, right? right? I use it all the time. I still think it's the source to find keywords, and that's the AdWords Keyword Planner. Okay. So you go into AdWords, you right. sign up for an account. You don't actually even have to set up a live campaign to get access to the Keyword right. Planner. They do restrict keyword data if it's a non-active account. Um, if you have an active campaign, they're going to give you a little bit more data within that Keyword Planner. But it's a great place to start because you can go in there, type in three root keywords that you think people are searching for, and Google will return hundreds of keyword um, ideas for you that people are searching and they'll give you actually data on this. They'll say, Hey, um, you know, for this phrase, it's related to the root keyword you put in. It's been searched, you know, 90 times on average a month. The average bid price is $5 to $10. And if you can see the, the keyword phrases that are coming up and you get an idea of the volume, but more importantly, how competitive and how much people are paying for that number that people are paying for the average cost per click on that, on that keyword is really telling because the higher it is, the more commercial value it has, the more people are bidding it up, the more it's probably, if you, if you get a search term for that on your web uh, search, click for that on your website, the higher chance that is, it's going to actually be somebody that's going to convert into a sale because people are bidding it up. So you can go into that, sure. into that, into that AdWords planner and get great data, but you keyword ideas, but you want to look and see how, the competitive level is the volume in it and the actual dollar amounts that they're seeing. When you marry those together, you can develop a great list. And now you've got a core keyword list to kind of go after when you start writing stuff. I think a lot of people go write about what they want to write about, what they think people are writing about, but there's, you can still marry those two things up where if you know what the keywords are, you can work it into your title, into your URL, into your subtitles and the content of the text right. while still getting your message out that you want to, you want to teach and educate. Yeah. And I think that's, that's very important. And so when you, when Phil was talking about the the dollars, just so people understand, is it's what people would be paying if they were going to put a you know Google pay per click ad uh, or buy a Google pay per click ad, and and I agree. I mean the the dollar bid. I think the one variable perhaps that was missing we're talking about is if there it's an ad for something with really high economic value, then that doesn't always relate to traffic, right? Um, but still, nonetheless, it's a great key indicator, and that's really what you're looking for. I mean, none of the the keyword things are promises, but if you're trying to find keywords that uh, are worth including in your copy, your blogs, and so on, or even to give you ideas for what to write about, exactly, right? and that's that's even perhaps more important. Is and but some people are like, what uh, they just guess at what they, they don't. You can take a lot of the guesswork out of what people are searching for. Don't don't write about what you think they're searching for. Do a little bit of research, and it'll really open your eyes up. One, because you'll know what the words are, and two, like you said, it's, sometimes people are like, what should I be writing about? Well, sometimes you get a list of a hundred targeted keywords. It's there. I mean, your whole content calendar for the next two years are probably <laughs> in that list. You know, as long as you're writing about stuff. And again, we're right. You never want to write for the keywords, but I think you never want to write anything without keywords in mind. And right. I think that's really important because we're not writing for the search engines. We're writing good content for our ideal clients. But if you miss, if you don't work the keywords and naturally you miss a huge opportunity in terms of keyword uh, search potential. Yeah. And they may not find it. Right. That's really the key. I mean, if you're just writing it and publishing, going to a vacuum, no one finds it, doesn't have much value. Um, so another thing is, is in your book, local lead gen, 
well, the small business owner's guide, the local lead generation. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to to cut that short. Um, I just want to, we don't have a whole bunch of time, but I did want to talk about this idea of, of local lead generation for small businesses because you know, one of the things with, with the internet, it's made it easier to go farther afield in terms of selling your product. And I think oftentimes I find small businesses, especially in the B2B space, is they overlook the local market. You know, they think, since I can sell nationally, I should sell nationally. And I always come and start saying, well, who are you selling to? And, you know, it's a lot cheaper to sell and support customers within 50 miles. They're like a drive out and touch as opposed to, you know, someone across the country. So how do you get people sensitized to that again? Because it's, it's just easy, you know, I can, yeah, I got a website set up so you can contact me from anywhere. I can sell them instead of saying, hey, why don't we just focus our efforts on companies within 100 miles of here? I think it really depends, but I mean, I, I'm going to give you a, a really good example of even SEO for growth. I mean, we wrote that book for a lot of different reasons. And I'm using this as a local lead gen because you'll see where I'm going sure. with this. But we wrote the book for a number of different reasons. One is to have a book that has all the great stuff in it. The other one is to, was, to, was to leverage the book into creating a digital asset through seoforgrowth.com, which it has. We, we, let, we structured it in a way where it got, it's got a lot of authority, a lot of backlinks, a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. It ranks very highly for some very specific things like you search in best SEO tools or best link building services. We got number one. So we get, we're getting some good traction on that. Right. But what we what my goal was, or one of the goals still is for that, that book and that site is I know I'm never going to be Moz. I'm never right. going to be one of these big ones that's going to be attack and get great search engine traffic from the top down. But where I can um, potentially compete with these, some of these high authority sites is we've gone in and created child sites at the local level mm-hmm. where we've created St. Louis.SEO for growth, right. Atlanta.SEO for growth. Las Vegas.SEO for growth. We recruited people to get localized content in each one. Now we've set <laughs> I'm, up each one. I'm going to steal that idea, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we do, do a search right now for St. Louis SEO. It's like one or two um, in the maps. And and then look, if you do it, Las Vegas SEO, if you do Toledo SEO, Little Rock SEO, all of them rank in the top three. Now, our, so we're basically attacking the entire national market city by city with a local approach. That's where a lot of these big high authority sites are, are vulnerable mm-hmm. Vulnerable because I can march in at, at the city sites and then, and then collectively when each one of these little sub-sites starts to gain its own authority, it's going to help the, the mother site rank right. more. And then maybe, maybe I'll sneak in in the course of two or three years and you'll start seeing SEO for growth competing with some of these national, because they, 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 I don't want to say they missed the boat, but they just don't, they're not set up and they didn't, they didn't um, sneak. So that's a way I think people can go in with a kind of a localized national strategy and just try and win those battles at the local level by, um, you know, by investing in, in little micro sites, websites and content um, at the local level. So do you actually create a little micro website for each of the URLs or you just direct them to your main one? Nope. You go, actually, in this case, we, you know, we've got a little, we've got SEO for growth. We've got um, a course that's in development, but we've also got an agency partner, so partner program. So we've actually recruited a guy in St. Louis who's got St. Louis.SEO for growth. Part of his charge is to write weekly SEO St. Louis blog posts, maintain Facebook and Twitter for that location. So they're actually these living, breathing things with their own address, their own reviews, and their they're, they're real websites, real mini websites that have their own traffic and their own um, social media profiles and, and digital presence. And we're doing that like, you know, we've got 20 of them so far. Hope to have maybe 100 by next year. Um, but it's working. You know, we did the first three and we're like, wow, this really works. Because we're able to leverage some of that top domain authority. Sure. Um, but also use the same footprint with each one of them has 
unique content, unique write-ups, every blog post different, every person in there is, is, is you know. So you're going to do it as long as you have somebody in a location to do it? Yeah. I think okay. that's what makes more sense. If you're, a lot of these companies that are out there, especially your SEO services, even digital services or whatever, they try and set up these shill locations and they're calling in. Like we've got a couple here in Kansas City, you end up dialing in the, the West Coast or but you know, our model is there's an, actually a phone number and a person in the city type of a thing that can meet you. And I think that makes a big difference because some of those signals that come up, I think, are more and more important for Google. Sure. Oh, interesting. All right. Might be harder to steal it then. But um, it's still a great idea. I mean, I think you should be able to <laughs> – we can talk about it offline. <laughs> sure. As I you know, ramble through my own mind about, okay, how can I use that idea? All right. Well, <laughs> Steal away. Steal away. <laughs> yeah, <I> Everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, the whole idea is you know, people hear interesting things on the show and they give Phil a call. So unfortunately, we are sort of at that point in time. We got to start uh, wrapping up. So Phil, tell people how they can contact you and learn more about your books and so on. Well, check out for sure. Check out SEOforgrowth.com. That's where we've got um, the book. That's And uh, KCWebDesigner.com is kind of <laughs> what started it all, that's, man. That's the local one, right? That's the local. In fact, it's pretty funny. I just right now am starting to have my a new a new brand called Bare Knuckle Marketing, and I did that because I've been doing these podcasts. Get a lot of people call in, but it's like it's hard to service people in other parts of the country when you're like Kansas City web design, right? So I need to have a more of a kind of a broader brand so we can be able to help. Surprised you're able so to get going. that uh, domain name. Uh, I didn't actually. Oh, okay. I got Bare Knuckle Dot Marketing. Uh, trying oh, to okay. get Bare Knuckle, but. Um, so that's coming along. Also, I've got John and I, because I've had success with podcast guesting. We started podcastbookers.com. I suggest everybody go out there and do that on your own. Package yourself, build your authority. You can outreach to folks. Just don't spam them. Make sure that you're going to try and get on somebody's podcast that you you, you show how you're going to add value. But um, we've got us, and I mean, you see this all the time, Andy, yourself, because I'm sure you're getting pitched <laughs> like a couple times a day. <laughs> well, if, if only were that little. <laughs> but still, I mean, if we've got a story to tell, there's lots of people that are less established than Andy's shows that need to get good guests. So there's tons of them. Podcasting is not going away. It's, it's I think it's been one of the hottest things ever um, in the last two or three years. I think it's to, for me, it's been the most, the biggest bang for buck of any tactic I've done in 12 years in terms of doing this. Cause you go out there, you leverage somebody's audience, you get backlinks from the show. It just covers so many different areas. So podcastbookers.com, check that out or, or go look into doing your own guesting campaign. And, um, and I'll also send you a link on um, a good writing resource. Uh, yeah, please do. And we'll put it up on the website with that, this episode yeah. post. And that's it, man. All right. Well, Phil, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, Andy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Phil. Again, that was Phil Singleton, CEO of Kansas City Design and co-author with John Janch of SEO for Growth, the ultimate guide for marketers, web designers, and entrepreneurs. Joining me next is my usual partner in crime, Bridget Gleason, Vice President of Sales at Logs.io. And today, Bridget and I were swapping stories about some of the times when we were wondering whether being in sales was actually work it, worth it, Excuse me, like during travel disasters, customer disasters, and general disasters. So it's a fun conversation. Make sure you join us for that. All right, Bridget, how are you doing? Andy, Andy, Andy. Fantastic. Are you, accustomed, Great. are you accustomed to no Wednesdays yet? No. No, Wiley Wednesday? <laughs> no, Wiley well, Wednesdays? Oh, gosh, sorry. We've really fallen down on the job. We thought we were going to name I said Wednesdays. Wiley Wednesdays. I just named it. Okay. Wiley Wednesdays. Like Wiley Coyote? Yeah, Wiley Coyote. That's what it is for now until we okay. change it. All right. Wiley Wednesdays. Let me write that down see if I remember that. Okay. Wiley Wednesdays. So here, here's, here's a question for you. 
And oh. Uh, oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So have have you ever had those moments where you think to yourself, gosh, is being in sales really worth it? And I sort of <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I don't know if I want to answer this on air. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've I've written about this a bunch lately. I sort of include little snippets in my newsletter about this because, um, you know, I like you maybe even more so than you. Yeah, I've spent years traveling around the world for for sales, and and I've had all sorts of incidents with airplanes and other modes of transportation and so on. Just sort of thinking, okay, you know, if this was really my day, <laughs> you know, if this was it for me. How stupid that I was on some sales trip <laughs> instead of being home with my family or whatever. Um, and I just wonder, you know, have you ever ever thought about that? And I, I was sort of thinking about that because the day we're recording this is the day that there was this incident on the Southwest flight where an engine exploded and and shrapnel from the engine hit the fuselage, uh, killed one of the passengers, unfortunately, very sadly, and injured a number of others. And it's just like. You know, if I'd been on that, the first thought to my mind, if I'd been on that plane, <laughs> I was on like a, again, a sales trip, you know, going to call a customer, it's like, just not worth it. Um, okay. So do, okay. Two questions. Do I ever <laughs> think, God, is it really worth being in sales? All the time. Well, mostly, All I, the- I was just thinking about, you know, the, the weird things that happen to us, right? I mean. I'm not talking about the existential angst we may all have at the time to have our career choice, even though we've yeah. been in it, you and I have been in it for decades apiece. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'd, I'd started writing these down a few weeks ago because, yeah, I've, I've, like I said, I've had almost a handful of emergency landings on airplanes um, that were, you know, kind of concerning. And, um, yeah, you know, I've had gunshots fired at me when I was on sales calls and so on. Not by the prospect, but by. <laughs> by I was going to say, <laughs> what kind of techniques do you have? Well, it's funny. As so, the first one was first job out of school. I was in Oakland, uh, where part of my territory was, and uh, actually, I was on a sales call with one of my sales reps. And as we're leaving the meeting from the customer, we're in their parking lot in sort of a warehouse district, and. Um, we're getting in the car. We hear this gunshot, and you know, a bullet hits the front driver's side quarter panel. You know, up near the engine, <laughs> and we got in the car in a big hurry. I'm, I'm literally had this, you know, funny thought in my mind. Is like, okay, well, I didn't think the meeting went that badly, but um, ah! <laughs> that's great. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I just think if it's been out there for a long time, there's crazy things that happen to you. Well, at the time of this also, I'm I'm getting ready to go to Israel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening over in the Middle East now, forever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. always. Always, yeah, but it, yeah, tensions are certainly heightened right now, yeah. So do I ever think, gosh, this it, kind of the weird and wacky, oh, look at this weird, wacky Wednesday Weird, wacky Wednesday. The weird, wacky things that can happen. <clears throat> Do I think, God, here, uh, am I risking life and limb in this job? Nah, not so much. I think they can happen walking down the street. So I, I don't I don't think about it. it. Mine is probably more existential. It wouldn't matter what I was doing. I would probably, there's a lot of things I'm interested in. And sales certainly, 
uh, keeps me interested and on my feet and, and challenged, which I do love. There's a lot about it I love. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep doing it. But I don't worry so much about the I don't worry so much about the weird and wacky things that may happen while I'm traveling. Just me. Well, that's that's part of it. I mean, the the travel. I mean, it's, I certainly have <laughs> I said, had my fair share of those, and I think if you fly enough, you're you're going to run into it, right? Eventually, even though the airplanes are air travels. I mean, unfortunately, this is poor person who was killed today, but first air traffic, uh, commercial air traffic mm-hmm. associated fatality in almost nine mm-hmm. years. Nine oh, years boy. in the United States, isn't that amazing? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's, it's been so long. But yeah, back when in the heyday when we we're doing all the travel, yeah, the safety records, while still great, were not uh, not as spotless as they are today. So, um, yeah, I'm not a nervous traveler at all. I mean, it just it just like yeah, yeah. If this is it, yeah, this that would have wanted a better reason to be on the plane. Um, so, but they're not all, that's certainly true. They're not all travel related though, too. I mean, I've, I've had, uh, I'm sure you had too. It's just things you've had to do in your career that, that, uh, (laughs) made you wonder about the career choice. And I'll, I'll throw out one of my favorites is that there's one job and I was Forced by my boss, the VP, of, actually the CEO of the company at that point, uh, to call one of our biggest customers at home at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve <laughs> to ask him to fax an order to us they had committed to earlier that day. Because we were going to be closed between Christmas and New Year, and so we were basically shutting the quarter at that point. <laughs> and Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. There's and, an answer. Yeah. If this, he asked, there's an answer. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I had no choice. I, I had to. I, I felt horrible. Yeah. Um, and what happened? Oh, he, he reluctantly and fortunately had a fax machine at home and was able to. Which is amazing because I don't know where I would find a fax machine now, but I'm sure. I don't know where. I actually I don't know where. Well, you just scan and email it, right? You don't have to, don't have to fax things these days. But uh, it really it it soured the relationship. Not surprisingly, <laughs> for uh, no matter how much I apologized and how much I told him it wasn't my idea, because he was going to. It wasn't make or break. The CEO, unfortunately, was under a lot of pressure and was basically trying to ship everything but the kitchen sink uh, to make mm. to make the quarter, and it it didn't work for him. He ended up. Not lasting more than about ninety days before he was gone, but that's what happens. Yeah, but it. I mean, that was that was just painful. I mean, I, you know, I've asked tough questions of customers lots of times, but you know, it's just like, yeah, this wasn't going to make a difference for longevity of the CEO, and all we're going to do is irritate this customer. It was a really great customer, great guy, and but he was in the midst of. Christmas Eve celebrations. <laughs> I think they were unwrapping the first round of presents that night when I uh, I happened to call through. So have you had something similar? Well, the only thing, I mean, the one that comes to mind was, it was, I was traveling, I was going to see one of my reps. I was running North America. I was going to see one of my reps in Toronto. 
and he had planned sort of our schedule for the day. And I had a set, we had a sales engineer with us and I'd flown out from San Francisco and we were heading to our last meeting and we're out in this residential area. And I said, where are we? This does not look like somebody that's buying a, you know, technical platform as a service for their company. Mm. And he said, oh, um, I was told to do, there was a, a head of worldwide sales. It was a big fan of uh, drop-ins. And he said, I thought our last one today would be a drop-in. I said, all right, okay, we'll drop in. That's someone's home? Well, well, it turns out, okay, not only did we drop in in someone's home, <laughs> but we dropped in because this poor, unsuspecting person, probably in their pajamas early in the morning, had downloaded a white paper. And then you get people knocking <laughs> out the door. Hi, you downloaded a white paper three and a half weeks ago. Here we are. I'm the VP of sales. I've flown out from California to see you at your home. Like they had some home business. Yeah. And when we when we pulled up to the, the door, I said, I, I actually am not going in. And I, I don't I don't think this is a good idea. It's like, no, 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 I'm going. I'm like, all right. Go for it. I don't think it was well received, but I, I have to tell you, I was laughing so hard. It was just for me, it was hilarious. But that was probably the one that I thought, okay, we've taken this, we've taken this a bit too far. <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of a story of one when I was selling computer systems, mini computer systems, you know, back back in those days when they existed, and uh, had this guy I've been talking to on the phone. Actually, I've been talking to one of my sales reps on the phone, and he he wanted to buy a pretty expensive system. I, at that time, for us, it was like you know, a quarter million dollars or so. Yeah, that's a real that's a that's real money. Yeah, and so yeah, you know, we wanted to meet the guy. I wanted to meet the guy because a the sales rep hadn't really been selling big systems like that before, and and he said, "Sure, come <laughs> you can come visit me." And he gave the address, and it was similar. It's in the middle of a residential district, a you know not not a prosperous residential district, but a small, tiny home, uh, in a very you know, nondescript neighborhood. And you know, we walk into it, and the guys got a bunch of other computer stuff there in this tiny little home, and the windows are all blacked out, and they have bars over the windows. And uh. and so the kicker is, you know, sir. I start saying, "Well, what what business are you in?" Well, I'm in, yeah, collectibles. Uh, you know, oh. precious precious stones and and rare coins. I'm like, uh huh. And that's said the kicker was he he wanted to pay cash for it. Oh, of course he did. Of course he did. <clears throat> now said, we're talking. Yeah, I said. Yeah, I I think that's going to be an issue. <laughs> I'll let you talk to my our branch financial person. Yeah, that that didn't fly. I mean, it's like a, <laughs> it was like another client we had that uh, we had a lot of customers uh, in Latin America. And one that uh, again, fairly good size order, one to pay with traveler's checks. <laughs> I, oh, I said, that, that's not that's not going to work either. No, we we're talking about. Yeah, north of a hundred thousand dollars. They want to pay yeah, travelers checks. Yeah, I've got travelers checks. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't think so. I got to have you talk to our financial person. So, 
Yeah, those, those are, are some great. Those, yeah, those are actually a little more fun than than some of the some of the bad ones. When we're talking about Canada. I mean, I had one that that uh, one dad def- we're doing a joint venture with a big company in in Canada and uh, with a startup I was at. And so I had to fly into Ottawa, and I got in to, to meet with the, the company, and I got in yeah, kind of late. It was about 11 p.m. at night, sort of, when I was getting in there. And a Canadian immigration official you know, said, so, you know, how long have you here? A couple of days. What are you doing? I'm here in business. So who are you meeting with? And I said, well, I'm not sure I can tell you because I <laughs> we've got you know, an NDA signed on this. Not a Donald Trump NDA, but a real NDA uh, huh. with, with real names. And I said, "Well, no, I need to know who you're. I'm here to be talking with." I said, "So I finally gave the company name reluctantly." He said, "So who are you meeting with?" I said, well, "I really can't <laughs> can't tell you I that. I can't share that. What are you going to talk about? I can't. I've got this. Yeah. yeah, that too. I can't share. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't really interested in letting me into the country at that point." And so I sort of got put in this room where I sat for almost two hours. Uh, like it was like the penalty box almost in, in a hockey game. In the meantime, you know, all these people entering the country, this, this girl had brought in her boyfriend from Latin America somewhere or something who you know, had no papers, no visa, something. She got in, he got in. I'm sitting in this room. Um, it's like, huh. Just because I wouldn't tell them exactly the agenda of the meeting we were having. Eventually, they got tired of having me there and they they let me go. But <laughs> they kept me there until almost two hours. Oh, gosh. Yeah, not quite as fun. No, no. And actually, you know, you think, man, Canadians are just so nice, right? That's reputation. Just so nice. I, I think I got on the wrong side of this person and they were at the end of their shift and they were unhappy or something. But um, yeah, that one was, that one was, that one was not good. Again, had me rethinking. <laughs> it was the middle of winter, too. Another one, another getting back to the beginning, mm. rethinking, rethinking the career. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, well, I thought you had another story on that. that no, uh, no, no, no. I'm just saying we've we've come full circle. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it comes up. I said, you, I mean, I, I, well, what's the most painful call you've ever had to make to a customer? Oh, I that one is very clear. It was... Uh, it was to Oracle when we were selling them. It was when I worked for. Yeah, it was that. Uh, <laughs> it was Hewlett Packard's largest. The painful memories are flooding back in as you yeah. take that deep sigh. Yeah, we were at, at HP's largest technical var, and they'd ordered a bunch of stuff for me and some services, and it was late. Didn't come in time. And to call him and tell him, and he needed it. There's nothing I could do. It was HP was late. I couldn't get. And just having to listen to him rage, and he was, he was right. I, mm. So you know, when you know somebody's counting on it, and um, yeah, that was, that was bad. That was. <laughs> you can still feel it bad. in your voice. Oh, I can still feel it. I can still feel it. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I mean, one of my worst calls is <laughs> after the guy at Christmas time was I'd spent two weeks in Hong Kong negotiating a large deal with the, one of the largest telecom providers in Asia, 
And this was had a lot of custom development efforts in it. And but I said we had had to validate every delivery date, every feature, and so on. We had our mm. engineering department on the line with us. I was there with our VP of legal and going through this. And we were wrung out at the end, but we got the deal done. Fly home, get home midday, decide, okay, I'll take the rest of the day off. Go in the office the next day. So basically one calendar day after we signed the deal. And the VP of engineering said the delivery schedule had slipped by six months already. Uh, <laughs> it was like, uh, you call the customer. No. <laughs> that's right. No, that, you call the customer. That's your job. Mm, mm, painful. It's painful. But here we are. Still, we live through that. Resilience, that's, that's one of the key things. The key, key skill. Key skill. Key skill. And it is a skill. Actually, we're going to talk about that in another episode. We've got that planned. So, all right, Bridget, Andy. as always. Until great. next time. Until next time. Wiley Wednesday. Yeah. Wacky Wednesday. <laughs> Wacky Wonderful Wednesday. Wednesday. All right, we're gonna, one of those will stick for sure. All right, thank you. We'll talk to you shortly. All right, have a good one. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Phil Singleton, and my good friend, Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week as I welcome Mike Schultz back to Accelerate. Mike is the president of the RAIN Group. And we're going to talk about a new research study released by the RAIN Group titled, Five Sales Prospecting Myths Debunked. Now, you definitely want to listen to that. And of course, no Accelerate would be complete without sharing more stories with Bridget. And as always, she'll be joining me for our weekly conversation. Be sure to join us then. Thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. Thank you again for joining me. And until next week, good selling, everyone.